Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going this week? It's going well. How are you this week? I'm good, I'm good. I'm getting ready for vacation, so I'm All happy. Right. I'm getting ready for vacation Bible school. Oh, you're probably going to be a little more active than I am. Yeah, well, I'm planning to do a lot. I'm planning to do a lot of nothing. I won't be that active. My wife will be active. So, uh, you know, okay. she's children's minister at our church. So this is kind of a big game week for her next week. So she's uh, excited about that. Excellent. That sounds like a lot of fun. I know it'll be a good week for you guys. Yeah, we're excited about it. And i uh, got a lot going on around here. And a lot happened this past week in the SBC. Yeah, it did. It's interesting. Every week I wonder, will there be a whole lot of news? And, <laughs> and there every week always there is. is. There's just something every week. Uh, one thing, just following up on what we discussed last week, mm-hmm. the uh, number of African-American churches that were damaged, destroyed by fire. Uh, the North American Mission Board has really stepped up. We talked about what the local, the Metrolina Baptist Association yeah, doing for the church in Charlotte, but NAM has come and established a fund that uh, all Southern Baptists can easily give to. They started the fund with $50,000 to immediately help out, and now we all can in this way. Yeah, and uh, NAM has that available on their website. We've got a link for that. Uh, Ronnie Floyd and Fred Luter have been uh, pushing that uh, online this week. I've seen a lot of tweets about that, uh, a lot of people talking about it. Uh, There's a great story in Baptist Press about uh, the arsons and just kind of some history of, of some mm-hmm. past arsons. And uh, there was a, did you know we have an SBC resolution that was passed in 1996 on, I did uh, not know that on these crimes. And uh, it stated that we should pray for support, encourage, stand with and assist our sister churches and fellow believers in the African-American community who have been victims of these criminal acts. So uh, in 1996, the can Southern Baptist contributed $724,000 to help out uh, wow. 98 African-American congregations in 17 states rebuild after arson attacks. I had no idea. That was way before I was really you know, involved or paying attention to the Southern Baptist Convention, but uh, that was under SBC President Jim Henry at the time. Yeah, so I, of course I didn't know about it. I wasn't actually even Southern Baptist at the time, uh, but it's a pretty phenomenal thing to look back and especially in 1996, I mean, that's in, mm-hmm. you know, $724,000 almost 20 years ago. Yeah, and so, uh, so just knowing that we were kind of standing for it back then, this is time to step up again. Yeah. All right. Moving on uh, to some other news we've covered here and there on the podcast. Cooperative program giving is 1.45% above the projection at the, uh, the, fiscal year three-quarter mark. So they're nine months into the 12-month fiscal year, and the giving to the cooperative program this year is up 1.45%. That's slightly down from what it was last reported at a month ago. That was around 2.5%. So it has come down some, but still above budget for the year. Yeah, so it's above what they had projected, and it's also uh, 1.24% above what it was same time last year. So it tells us at least we're staying on pace. We're staying a little bit above. I think we can look at closing out the year where we uh, where we want wanted to be, uh, where we plan to be, and hopefully maybe a little bit more than that. Yeah, yeah and uh, the budget year runs October through September, so we still have July, August, September to come. Uh, but right now, you know, 1.45% above projection. Yep, it's a good thing. 
moving on, looking at the states and some of our uh, Baptist colleges and universities in Texas, uh, Houston Baptist University and East Texas Baptist University have joined a, an appeal to the Supreme Court. They're part of this group in conjunction with the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. Uh, they're standing with Westminster Theological Seminary, and uh, it's they're responding to a June 22nd ruling about the Obamacare mandate. Yeah. Uh, this was the, the issue as far as providing insurance coverage for employees that include abortion-inducing drugs. Um, the Court of Appeals had said the mandate did not substantially burden their religious exercise and likely would not. And so uh, at first, kind of the word we had coming out was that they were weighing their options, considering, but then uh, very quickly they made the decision to appeal to the Supreme Court about that. So, of course, very early in the stages, it's going to be a while before we hear what happens next with that, uh, but we do know they're taking that action. Yeah, so for those of us who don't really follow all the legal stuff, what does this mean? What this means is they they basically contended that they should receive the same consideration as churches. Okay. So in the Affordable Care Act uh, and then in the Religious Freedom and Restoration Act, churches are able to not be held to this okay. insurance coverage and, mandate. And it really has to do with the, uh, the coverage of abortion-inducing drugs. Correct. And it's saying that that is, um, it is the hindrance to their, uh, to their religious exercise and that they should be treated just like a church. So that's kind of the question that's, that's up there. And at this point, the, the fifth circuit, the court of appeals had said, no, that's not, not a problem. It's not a burden on your religious exercise and they've decided to appeal. So they are continuing to try to make this, um, to make this, argument and to say, we, we can't do this. We want to focus on what we're doing and we want to be able to stand by what we know to be right, what we believe is a matter of faith. And we need to be given the freedom of our expression and, and to be treated in this way to just like a church. Do you see this as maybe a precursor to the future appeals that we will probably see for same-sex marriage? You know, I think uh, it, it's different and it's similar. Obviously, it's just a some different issues. There are uh, it's kind of like Hobby Lobby, that oh, case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. And then you have the ones on same-sex marriage where it's still all the same. It's in how, how we express our beliefs and then how we continue to do business with, with what we're doing. Uh, but obviously there are some intricate details that are going to be a little bit different. I think it's one to watch though, because I think what they say can really help us to know what we're looking at on the, uh, the marriage case. I would think as well, because we're talking about insurance coverage, there are going to be some similarities. I think down the road, what we might see is insurance coverage for spouses and same-sex marriage. Those are the types of things that we might yeah. face okay. um, in future cases. Okay. Uh, also in the college ranks, and this is not a Southern Baptist college, we, we must make that clear, uh, but Baylor University revised its sexual misconduct policy and left out language specifically banning homosexual acts. Now, Baylor, like we said, not an SBC college, but also tied to the Baptist General Convention of Texas loosely, mm-hmm. uh, might we add. And they right. they are saying that they stand by the Baptist faith and message 1963. Now, uh, I, while it's not a an SBC college, we've mentioned that a few times now, but there are a lot of people who see Baylor as one of those quote-unquote flagship Baptist universities. Right, going just because of its history and... Yeah. 
um, have, have known it that way. And it, it, it doesn't have that connection, but yet, you know, there's a, there's a heritage there. Yeah. And well, I think and the it BGCT just has every... is, is aligned with the SBC. Um, so Correct. I mean, it's, it's kind of like cousins, you know, Baylor would be a cousin to the SBC rather than, you know, son or daughter. Yeah. And it, I mean, they're, they're trying to be, it seems to me like they're trying to walk a very fine line in the middle. Uh, they're saying, no, we still hold to the Baptist faith and message 1963. We're not changing anything. Um, but I, you know, I think it's, it's an interesting move on their part to, to pull this out. So I don't, I, I think I've tried to come and be clear and say, no, that's not, not part of who we are moving forward, but they didn't want to be as specific. Also mentioned in that story is uh, Wheaton College, and they have, while they're obviously not an SBC college, they are planning to hold firm to their policies on marriage and their evangelical standpoint. Wheaton's kind of the, the flagship evangelical school, and there's some news about Wheaton involving the SBC this week. Ed Stetzer has been named a Billy Graham Center for Evangelism uh, senior fellow. Yes, he has. This is uh, very interesting. They're going to have a partnership with Lifeway Research. Now, what does that mean? That that's a partnership. So Ed is not uh, not, not leaving leaving. Lifeway Research. Yeah. From what but he, we he's going to be a uh, a senior fellow. That means he'll go up there and he'll probably do some teaching. Uh, but they're really they they outline three parts of the partnership. One is Ed would be uh, consulting and leading some of their team. That's through teaching, through um, just meeting with them, consulting. Also, an emerging research project that Lifeway Research will conduct for uh, Wheaton College. I said, yeah, that looks really interesting. It, it looks it says they're going to take a fresh look at the churches that are most effectively reaching the unchurched, yeah. which I think will be a fascinating thing to those see. Are, those are always interesting studies. Uh, Dr. Rayner at Lifeway, uh, one of his books, The Unchurched Next Door, uh, from back in the early 2000s uh, that he published with Zondervan before he came to Lifeway. A lot of that yeah. kind of research. So it's it's neat to see those kind of research projects on a mass scale uh, taking place. And, and this partnership with the Billy Graham Center for Evangelism at Wheaton College uh, will do just that. And finally, there'll be a conference next year, also the third part that uh, they will host and release that research at on evangelism uh, and the unchurched. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, that's big news for Lifeway and big news for Ed Stetzer. Yep. And uh, another big news point, uh, ERLC has appointed Stephen Harris to their D.C. team. Uh, Stephen will be located at the D.C. office and will be the director of advocacy in Washington, D.C. for the ERLC. Yeah, so he's going to advocate for their policy positions with Congress, with the White House, others up in D.C. He'll uh, be a very valuable asset. Um, interesting piece of, I guess, of note, uh, he is the second African-American to join the ERLC staff since Russell Moore became president, the first one being uh, Trillian Newbell. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that I think that's worthy to mention just because we've talked a lot about how it matters that we are pursuing diversity at some of the highest leadership levels in our denomination. And that's another picture of that. And our interview with Kevin Smith today from Southern Seminary uh, speaks to that as well. We'll get to that here in a little bit. Also of note for Dr. Moore, he was in a newly released video for the Christian hip-hop musician Flame. That's one of those headlines I didn't think I'd be reading here on yeah. uh, on the podcast, but congratulations to him. Yeah, that's uh, I listened to that yesterday, which I'm going to just full disclosure here. I don't listen to a ton of, of hip-hop. Um more of a James Taylor fan. So uh, 
lean toward that genre, but it was an interesting, it was an interesting song and it was kind of funny to hear his voice sort of breaking in and uh, matching up. So, uh, and, and there's also a really good article this past week in Baptist Press uh, about Christian hip hop and Lecrae. We've mentioned before on the podcast, Lecrae assigned uh, to release uh, a book in 2016 with Lifeway and B&H Publishing. Really a great article on Lecrae and church clothes and how he has really taken off. It gives you a little bit of the backstory on how big Lecrae really is. Uh, and he's really, really big in the hip hop community, not just in Christian hip hop, uh, but just in the, the hip hop community at large. It's kind of neat to see these uh, SBC guys like Lecrae and Flame uh, really owning that space and, and moving forward and, and taking the gospel to, to people that may not have heard it in, in a unique way. Yeah, I heard um, Shy Lynn several years back, which he's up, uh, has been at Capitol Hill Baptist Church and yeah. is part of a church plant in Philadelphia now. So, and it was a, a talk that he gave and just gave a real explanation of the hip hop culture and what it meant. I think he was speaking specifically of conscious hip hop and how bringing a lot of these uh, theological concepts, gospel concepts into that culture um, and what a what an incredible impact it was having so I was I was very fascinated by that even as I don't listen to it a ton myself I love to see to see what's happening and yep. the connection with the Southern Baptist world yeah and there's gonna be uh, some there'll be even more connection uh, later this summer at the send conference I know uh, Triple E will be at that and the URLC uh, conference the next day so you know Triple E, Shylin, uh, Lecrae, Flame and Ambassador. Yeah, the Ambassador Deuce Branch is a student here yeah. uh, at Southeastern, and so a lot, just a lot of influential people in that movement. Yeah, all involved both in the hip hop community, not just Christian hip hop community, but the hip hop community in general, and the SBC. So, uh, who'd have thought that would be the case? Kind of an interesting mix there. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, as as we've talked about just a few minutes ago, some additions to a few places mm-hmm. at ERLC, that uh, new partnership for Lifeway Research. One more addition, Southern Seminary announced this week uh, that their Jenkins Center for the Christian Understanding of Islam uh, has a new leader, uh, Ayman Ibrahim. Uh, yeah, we'll he started... <laughs> He's a senior fellow for the Jenkins Center. He's going to be assistant professor of Islamic studies in the Billy Graham School. And so that's an exciting, exciting addition to their faculty. And then also uh, at the Jenkins Center there. And he seems to have a lot of great, uh, great experience. Yeah, he's got an incredible resume. He's got a doctorate from Fuller Theological Seminary uh, on Islamic studies. He's got an MDiv from Southwestern. And he's finishing his second doctorate right now from the University of Haifa in Israel. Uh, he's taught at Fuller, at Southwestern, at the Arab Baptist Theological Seminary in Beirut. So he's got quite the resume and a great hire for Adam Greenway, the dean of the Billy Graham School, uh, which the center is located in at Southern Seminary. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be a, a, a good addition for them, I think. Speaking of Southern Seminary, here is this week's interview with Professor Kevin Smith. Today we're joined by Kevin Smith, the assistant professor for preaching at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, as well as the teaching pastor at Highview Baptist Church, a multi-campus church in the Louisville area. Uh, Kevin, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Excited to be here in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, we're recording this on location uh, here at the Southern Baptist Convention Annual Meeting, and you, like many, are a messenger from your church at Highview. 
serve as a bivocational pastor yes. at Highview, a teaching pastor on Sundays. You, you've got the seminary job during the week, probably do some church stuff, I'm sure, as well during yes. the week. What is that? Uh, how has that model shown you, you know, just kind of a different take for you, I'm sure? I know you've been a pastor before. You've been doing this for a while. But how does that look? A lot of churches, you know, the full-time staff, everybody's full-time. But Highview's moved away from that. You know, we've got the Bivo teaching pastors as well now. Um, what does that look like across the, the Southern Baptist Convention and, you know, in broader evangelicalism as well to have those bivocational pastors who maybe it's teaching pastor, maybe it's children's pastor, maybe it's music and things like that? I think um, some of it depends on the gifting and the skill set of the individual. But honestly, you know, I've talked to a lot of pastors in several state conventions that I do some consulting with and uh, 2008 pushed a lot of this when we had the economic downturn mm-hmm. and churches just realized, hey, we need to make some budget choices. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, th- there were churches that had double-digit budget reductions up yeah. in the 20 and 30 percent. Wow. And they began to realize um, we can't do what we've been doing, doing the, let's say, let's call it the programmatic era of yeah. Southern Baptist life. So the last 50 years of the 20th century. Um, where when there's a new function to be reformed, we yeah, hire, hire a new, new staff, staff members for it, first, yeah. maybe in a part-time capacity. Mm-hmm. Then we hope to move that to a full-time capacity. And then we wind up with these bloated staffs. Bloated staffs. That economic model does not work. And then we also, I think, this is my deal, I, I think also in an Ephesians 4.11 New Testament sense, we also wind up with a laity that is used to the staff yeah. doing the ministry. Yeah. So the bivocational um, ministry kind of puts more of that on the members yes, to be uh, to be the church than to for the staff to to lead the church I guess. Yes, I I think there's an advantage to uh pushing pastoral leadership to empower ministry uh among the members of the church um you know, I, I, I say it because people understand what I mean, but, you know, the clergy-laity distinction doesn't necessarily help when we talk about ministry yeah. and workload mm-hmm. and those types of things. Um, and some areas are naturally geared that way. I mean, it's wonderful to have a full-time music director. It can also be wonderful if the music teacher at the local high school is your part-time music yeah. director. Um, it is wonderful to have a full-time youth minister. It's also wonderful if a local lawyer or a local plumber is your part-time youth minister because they have a passion and a motivation for uh, ministry to children. And I will tell you this, uh, uh, people who do ministry bivocationally generally um, are very enthusiastic about the ministry. They realize that they're putting in extra hours. They realize that their life kind of goes at a different pattern. Whereas, um, you know, I frequently meet full-time staff people that are, you know, trying to figure out their aim and their focus, and um, they're not uh, 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 as driven sometimes as those who have to maximize their time. I mean, I'll give you an example. I always had better grades in high school when I was playing sports because I was doing more things, and I had to use my time more efficiently, more effectively. It forced you to focus. It forced you to focus. Uh, When I wasn't playing sports, you're supposed to get better grades, right? No, my grades always went down when I wasn't playing sports because I just wasn't as focused. Hmm. Now, before you came to Highview, you were a pastor at Watson Memorial, uh, a teaching pastor there as well, right? Yeah, senior Um, pastor Yeah, senior pastor. And was uh, at a majority African-American church in Louisville area. Highview, not so much. Yes. Um, there's a lot of diversity initiatives I know going on. As Southern has one, I know there's a lot of diversity initiatives going on in the seminaries across the SBC. 
how do you see diversity playing out uh, and how have things changed just in your time in the SBC? I think um, many pastors, and this is a good thing, pay attention to the neighborhood when they're driving to church, when they're walking around church, and if their parsonage is near the church, when they look around their neighborhood. And many pastors looking in the New Testament, uh, looking at the relationship between Jew and Gentile becoming one in the body of Christ, many pastors want their congregations to look like their geographical neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a positive thing. That seems like a change, though, because we've got yes. a lot of churches, oh. though, that, that don't reflect those communities. No, I think that's a change. And I've seen that, I've seen that be an impulse among uh, white brothers that pastor, and I've seen that be an impulse among black brothers that pastor. Uh, and so I think, I think just the demographics of our neighborhoods uh, makes pastors consider that. Um, in light of plateauing and declining churches, people say, man, there's a lot of people right here around my neighborhood that we've not even reached yeah. out to, and so uh, let's reach out there. And then secondly, initiatives that people have seen, like um, some of the teaching and writings of uh, our ERLC yeah. and the leadership of Dr. Russell Moore, some of the teachings and writings of Dr. Danny Aiken at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, certainly some of the teachings and writings of and sermons of Dr. Moeller at Southern. Um, and so there are churches and there are examples out there where those things are taking place. And then other things are just more organic. I mean, there's not a publicized diversity initiative at Capitol Hill Baptist Church with Mark Dever, Mm -hmm. but his internship program and his weekender program are very diverse programs, Mm African-American, white, Asian, Hispanic. And they just sent out the BD. Just uh, sent out to, to Yes, sir. So, so there's the organic things going. There are programmatic things going. And then there's just the reality of, um, you know, whether it's Ezekiel, uh, whether it's Paul in Athens, when God sends someone out on ministry, the first thing they do is just kind of like sit there and look around at who's around them. Who, who am I seeking to share the gospel with? Who am I seeking to call to repentance and right relationship with God? And if you just sit there by your church and look around, you'll see that they're every kindred, yeah. tribe, tongue, and nation. Yeah, every na- like you said, every nation. We, IMB and NAM, uh, really pushing the Global Cities Initiative, uh, Send North America as well, a lot of diversity in our urban areas that a lot of times we're just blind to. And I can't speak for every city, but I know, for example, Louisville, Kentucky, is a United Nations refugee Hmm. feeder city. So we constantly have the nations uh, coming into Louisville because of uh, refugee situations. Now, we mentioned you're at Southern Seminary, and Southern over the last couple of decades in the leadership of Dr. Moeller has seen a just a dramatic increase in enrollment. I know uh, the enrollment numbers this year were just over the, you know, way through the roof. Uh, Boys College continues to grow. I graduated over 100 students again this year. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, we talked about that on the podcast uh, earlier in May. And just Southern has seen just a tremendous amount of growth. Uh, what's that been like for you to be there? What are you seeing? You know, what can we expect in the future from Southern? Um it has been exciting uh, to be at Southern uh, nearly a decade now. Um, Dr. Moeller's leadership has been so effective, um, nearly a decade teaching, and then before that as a Ph.D. student and also as a commuting um, MDiv student in some classes. Um, he's written a book on leadership, and I think um, he certainly has the credentials to do that. 
Um, the type of speakers we've had on campus has been exciting. Mm -hmm. I've met just some wonderful men and women of God. Uh, we have a nice international uh, student body, and so you get to meet brothers and sisters from around the world. And actually, that's really exciting in mm -hmm. class uh, because they bring a different perspective yeah. and some critique of blind spots that we don't see in American yeah. Christianity. Well, uh, I've talked in the past uh, with Trevin Wax, a mutual yes. friend of ours, and he, he, he you know, his, his wife is from Romania, and he says that they'll be reading the same Bible passages, <laughs> and certain things in the Bible stick out to her because of her worldview from a Romanian mindset, that Eastern European worldview than it would be from his Western mindset and Western worldview. Uh, his, the big example that he always gives is the uh, prodigal son. said, to an Eastern European, what sticks out in that story is the famine in the land. That's just, they relate to that because of the, the famines and, and the, the blight that was going on in Eastern Europe, people that grew up under the communist reign in Europe. Uh, and he said, it just being married to Karina has really just changed his view of Scripture just on how she's pushed on certain issues like that. So I'm guessing in the classroom that would be even more beneficial. Yes, and Eastern Europe is a great example. Eastern Europeans, um, Eastern Africans, I mean, there are many cultures around the world where the Christians there are much more, the discipleship is much more centered in repentance. Mm. In fact, in Eastern European, there are countries where the Christians are called yeah. repenters. Yeah. No one would ever say yeah. that about American well, Christians. And a recent <laughs> thing for the Gospel Project of the videos, Trevin, that was his, basically the, the gist of his speech was that whenever he was in Romania, the Christians there were called repenters. That was the word for it. And word, yeah. it just, he said that, changes the way you view Christianity. Yes. We are the culture warriors. Yeah. <laughs> we have a in different the West, profile. Yeah, yeah. And over there in Eastern Europe, they are the repenters. Yes. So it's just a different posture coming totally to the same thing. Posture. And so for that kind of dynamic to come together in a classroom, and then more importantly, just as importantly, for that to come together in guys living yeah. together in a dorm mm -hmm. and developing three and four year friendships that will last for the rest of their yeah. life in ministry. Um, that's just incredible. Uh, Dr. Moeller himself is a leader. Um, the things he's done, spoken and written as far as uh, evangelical witness in the, in, the, in, the con, in the culture. And I, I'm very much appreciative. Dr. Moeller, Dr. Moore, those type of people have what I call a winsome witness. Yeah. Um, they're not angry mm. Bible believers. They are Christ lovers who want to share the gospel, yeah. and they want to share it in a winsome way. Um, so that's been exciting. And then my particular area, preaching and pastoring, I get to deal with men in an um, intimate way. Uh, my classes are generally smaller so each man can preach go through a preaching rotation several times okay. and pastoral ministry might be a little larger but we still have time to do labs and you know sometimes i get to teach guys the first time that this is how you should baptize someone yeah. so you don't drown them and <laughs> think that think through how you would serve the lord's supper those types of mm -hmm. things so it's it's a wonderful time to be at southern uh we're situated at a great place in the country, yeah. uh, you can fly anywhere. I ride a motorcycle. You yeah, can I know. Ride anywhere. It's it's a. I'm thankful to be at Southern. Um, I'm there because of the leadership of Dr. Moeller, and I wanted to do my doctoral studies in church history, and I wanted to sit under Tom Nettles. Mm -hmm. uh, he's retired now, but Dr. Tom Nettles. So uh, I'm thankful for my time and journey at Southern, and just really grateful to be there. Now, 20 years from now, where do you see the SBC? Where do you see Southern Seminary? Uh, 20 years from now, oh my goodness, the SBC will be, here's two Ds, it will be more diverse or more declining, and I believe it will be more diverse, um, and not just um, 
not just uh, ethnic diversity, also just diversity of geography. Um, I see stronger. I mean, we're here in Ohio, thank the Lord. And um, I, doctor, I saw somebody, Dr. Moore, preach yesterday at a church yeah. that had three services. Mm-hmm. I mean, three services. Well, they've got three services at that location. They've got a couple more locations around the city. Three, yeah, just so a Southern Baptist church like that in Ohio. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we'll be more diverse geographically, more diverse ethnically, more diverse um, socioeconomic. And yeah. I mean, I know we have diversity now. I preach in a lot of churches where there's wealth where there's poor people but just even more mm-hmm. uh, um, economic diversity um, and I think more models of ministry uh, bivocational church planners will spice up the game yeah and I think and um, I'm excited to hear this what sin the sin luncheon is about but I know that's a strong model that our North American Mission Board mm-hmm. is affirming now and that, again that doesn't eliminate people that have support in full-time yeah. models but I think we're going to um, push some bivocational models. And yeah. one thing I didn't mention, I do think, and social media has helped me to see this, what people think about preachers, I do think the bivocational minister has a certain type of evangelistic authenticity with men out in the street because he is out in the street. Yeah. When I say the street, I mean the factory or the mm-hmm. school or wherever yeah. he's working. That sometimes the full-time in the study, preacher boy doesn't have. Yeah. Um, and credibility is necessary. Mm-hmm. In especially in our culture. Especially in our culture. This generation is the generation of authenticity. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think that's another bivocational advantage when we look at declining uh, uh, baptisms yeah. and plateauing memberships. It seems also that you, know, you need far fewer resources to plan a, bivocational, a church bivocationally than you do if you're going on full-time. But, yes, so. But when you say resources, let me make my plea. I never speak publicly without plea, making a plea for what I call at Southern Seminary, the fourth man. Mm. Uh, the fourth. So we have the first man who's going to the international mission field to be a church planner or a trainer. We have the second man who's going to be a church planner. We have the third man uh, who's going to be a pastor of an established church, mm-hmm. but an established church that everybody wants to tra- pastor. Yeah. And then we have the fourth man I'm always pleading for who's going in to revitalize yes. a plateauing mm-hmm. or declining church. And a paid-off church building with 20 people in there, I think that's— That's a pretty good resource. I think that's a good resource. And I think—I don't know if you call it replanning or boot, booting or whatever. Yeah. Some guys that want a church plant— um, and have to garner a lot of resources. If this church over here has 20 members is declining and they want to be revitalized, yeah. um, I, I'm always encouraging guys to look at that revitalization yeah. model as well. Yeah, and a good book uh, for that would be the Kendi's Bones Live uh-huh. by uh, Bill Hennard, a mutual friend of ours and Excellent. co-professor, co, uh, I guess, at, seminary, yes, at yes. Southern Seminary with you. Excellent. So, Thanks, Kevin. We appreciate you being on here. It's always good to see you and uh, have fun on your motorcycle on the way back to to Louisville. Thank you, brother. Good to be with you. Thanks, Jonathan and Kevin. That was a great discussion. And uh, we always in the Whitfield house have always appreciated Kevin yep. and his wife, Pat, and their They're their big family. fans of the Whitfields. Well, we uh, we go way back from our days in, in Louisville. And uh, there was a time where he was commuting up from Chattanooga. He was pastoring down there. So he would come up for three days and we would usually have him over to the house for dinner and, and things. So, uh, so then, then when she got up there, we all became, became close. So the Smiths are great, and we appreciate what he had to share with us today. 
Yeah, and this week's resources of the week, what do you have, Amy? I have uh, a YouTube channel that Southeastern has been launching over the last few months, been putting them out. It's called Exploring Hope, and it is is something that's really just almost aimed at, it's, it's aimed at Christians and non-Christians discussing just a number of different issues. The, the way that they describe it, the way that we describe it is that it's, it's exploring the hope that is Jesus Christ. So it's dealing with all kinds of basic facts of Christianity with a lot of scholars in their different fields of study. The hosts are Jamie Dew, who is the Dean of the College at Southeastern. And then my personal favorite faculty member here, I am allowed to have a favorite most of the time. You can't, but Not I get to Marita. have one. Uh, unfortunately, I, I think Tony Morita is great, but Dr. Keith Whitfield is my favorite one. Oh, so you and went with the so husband he, over the pastor. Well, I felt I, I felt like everyone would excuse call. that. Probably so, a good call. Yes. So Keith also hosts several of these, and they just have a lot of great questions that they explore. Had one that was with uh, D.A. Carson not long ago about um, had one about Bible translation that went out a lot so just several others and there was one like last week or so with tony marita so and yes there was and it was about reaching people with the gospel in sort of a post uh christian world or in in the the, kind of the new normal that we're living in so these are great discussions they're short around five minute videos and we put them out on between the times every monday but we have an entire youtube channel so i'm gonna throw that one in there where do y'all film those because every the first time i saw it i was like I don't remember him filming that at the ballpark in Baltimore because it looked a lot like the room oh, that we had the, I know the, what. the luncheon in so in we, Baltimore. Yeah, so, so we film them all over, but the one the room that you're talking about is a, a room in the Ledford Student Center, okay. and it has kind of the cool exposed brick wall yeah. in it, and the, that's a good, very good setting for these, but mm-hmm. really great conversations. All right. Well, my resource of the week is a new podcast from Ministry Grid and the Church Leaders Channel here at Lifeway. It's called Five Leadership Questions With, and uh, or Five Leadership Questions About. Uh, they, they have two different formats that they're doing inside the podcast, uh, some with people, some about certain topics. Uh, and it launched this past week and uh, got, some, got about four or five episodes up now that you can go and listen to. And we'll put a link to that. They've had uh, John Perkins, John Piper. On there as well, uh, Barnabas Piper and uh, Todd Atkins host that. So uh, a neat little short uh, podcast that you can kind of download. A lot of new podcasts coming from Lifeway. Uh, just kind of a little behind the scenes peek here, uh, just because I, I know because I'm involved in, in trying to get a lot of those up and running. Uh, but uh, a neat uh, new resource here from Lifeway. Sounds great. I just heard about that a couple of days ago, and I'm looking forward to listening to that one. Yep. You know what I'm looking forward to? Send North America. That is coming up. Uh, the conference is coming up in about one month, uh, just at the beginning of uh, August. So if you're making yes. plans, uh, if you're trying to come to that, you better do it quickly because what I'm seeing is it is filling up quickly and it will be sold out probably in the next week or so. Yeah, it looks like there are limited spaces available, so it's time time to do it. John, when are we going to do our prep for Nashville? Oh, well, that'll, that'll probably be in about two weeks, uh, last week in in um, July. So uh, two weeks okay. from now, we'll be doing that episode. So you'll, you'll have to, to pin that one whenever it's, you see it uh, and get all the inside scoop from Amy and I 
on Nashville, and maybe Jenny's ice cream will be back up and running by then, Amy. Oh, I hope so. I didn't get to have it in Ohio, so I want it. <laughs> so uh, we'll have all the uh, the restaurants. Amy's got the the lowdown on all the cool restaurants in town. I I know a few of them, uh, but Amy, you you kind of grew up here, so to speak. Uh, I and- I did. And yeah, I did grow up on the northwest side of the city. And so I can give you some ones that have been around for a long time and then some new ones that have popped up too. Yeah. So we'll do that in a couple of weeks. Uh, until then, until next week, actually, we will see you. Uh, thanks for joining us here on SBC This Week. See you next week. <laughs>